Uh, welcome, welcome to everybody. Tēnā koutou te Auckland Unitarians. Tēnā koutou ngā manuhiri. Ngā mai haere mai ki tēnei whare Zoom karakia o te atua. Tēnā koutou, tēnā tātou katoa. Welcome to everybody, wherever you are. Nice to see a lot of uh, familiar faces um, that I haven't seen that much of the last year. Thanks for having me back. As you all know, Clay has quite the responsibility to carry this community forward week to week. And so it's with you know, great appreciation and, and honor that he, when he asked if I could contribute during one of these, these weeks, I don't even know what week it is, these weeks in our increasingly long, straining lockdown, at least in Auckland, um, I was more than happy to. So it's very nice to see you all again. He and I, a few days ago, discussed you know, what the format, how the format was evolving with the virtual um, uh, service, as I haven't had a chance to participate too much this year. We've got nine-year-old at home, you know, trying to make sense of figuring it all out, being stuck inside a wife who is on the ever uncertain cusp of opening a new bakery um, and all the other demands that you know, I know we all, we all have. But I thought, you know, given Zooms, are people are getting used to them now, and I assume that it's more fluid, it's more uh, open, uh, more, more unstructured than perhaps when you're meeting in, in the real world, uh, more free-flowing. I, I think that's appropriate, as I feel at least anyway, that things are getting heavier um, and heavier across, across the motu, across the country, especially in Auckland. And I know Claire has referred more recently to these well, at least his thoughts as musings. Uh, so that implies a kind of wandering um, tone, which suits me today. So some of you might find some of the thoughts and things that I've picked up on and will share today, maybe a little bit challenging, maybe a little bit counter to how you're seeing things at the moment, but that's okay, because that's partly why we're all here and partly why we're in this community. It's it's okay to have different views and it's okay to be challenged at times and to explore those uh, discomforts. Clay texted me a few days ago. So what's the title of your service? Cause I've got to get this email out. So I hastily texted back a few options, um, poorly spelled and without good grammar, but ended up with messengers of division. It's just something that's been on my mind. Um, I think since COVID began, we as New Zealanders have been very, very patient, uh, very good listeners, very obedient troops doing our service, doing our part as we listen, as we heed, as we hear, as we trust the messengers. Um, as I know, as I no doubt some of you have maybe thought from a while ago that that trust may start to fray and it can only go so far and that there's a certain length to a license of way of communicating and a way of being and the thing for me at least is people are only willing to listen to people who don't listen for so long and you know we've gone 18 months now of a um world or country where an almost exclusively white caucasian collection of messengers shows up on our tvs on our online streams and almost exclusively one-way kind of didactic podium beamed into our lives, trying to tell us and share how we are going to navigate the next few weeks, the next few months. And off that podium, we have a similar small collection of messengers 
the same three or four messengers who've been warning us from quite tightly connected quarters with science and medicine, medical advice, and kind of the, the, the fear of what may happen uh, escalating at every turn, a kind of a singular view on how the entire country must and should respond to the experience we've gone through. Uh, these medical experts, immunologists, modelers, wherever they see the nail, they bring out the sledgehammer and they become the single voice of truth. And I think the thing I found most difficult this year is that these messengers are always right. And even foresight and hindsight, and even when they're wrong, they've been right. Um, so the question I wanted to explore today was, how can we best be in the face of an increasingly polarized conversation? Uh, I saw today and in today's paper, Liam Dan, his title of the article he wrote was, we are a polarized country. And I'm at least personally getting anxious about where that's taking us. So in the face of that, how can we best be as New Zealanders, as Aucklanders, as Unitarians, as fathers, friends, uncles, brothers, sisters, as people. I was at a friend's house in New York a long time ago, a psychologist, and I saw a book on the shelf by an author called Lin Yu Tang, who I'd never heard of before. I looked into him and he was a Chinese philosopher, a writer and a thinker that was born at the tail end of um, the 19th century. He's uh, a very quirky kind of writer. Um, he wrote a book called The Importance of Living. And uh, my first reading is from him, from that book, uh, about thinking and uh, messages. And he draws on his views and reflections on the East and the West and uh, fellow philosopher writer, William James. So I'll start. Uh, William James spent his life trying to prove and defend the Chinese way of thinking without knowing it. Only there is this difference that if William James had been a Chinese, he would not have written so many words to argue it out, but would have merely stated in an essay of three or four or 500 words that he believed it because it is so. He would be shy of the words themselves for fear that the more words he used, the greater the chances for misunderstanding. But William James was a Chinese in his keen awareness of life and the varieties of human experience in his rebellion against mechanistic rationalism, his anxiety to keep thought constantly fluid and his impatience with people who think they have discovered the one all important absolute and universal truth and have enclosed it in a self-sufficient system. He was Chinese too in his insistence on the importance of the artist's sense of perceptual reality over and against conceptual reality. The philosopher is a man who holds his sensibilities at the highest point of focus and watches the flux of life, ready to be forever surprised by newer and stranger paradoxes, inconsistencies and inexplicable exceptions to the rule. In his refusal to accept a system, not because it isn't correct, but it, because it is a system, he plays havoc with all the Western schools of philosophy. I have a small candle here in place of a chalice, but I will speak to a chalice as if it existed. 
Why a flaming chalice? The question comes. It's the cup of life, we answer. A cup of blessings overflowing, a cup of water to quench our spirit's thirst, a cup of wine for celebration and dedication, the flame of truth, the fire of purification out of chaos and fear. Thus was the symbol crafted a generation ago. So may it be for us in these days of uncertainty, difficulty, anger, and frustration, and a light to warm our souls and guide us through this. We light this flame to find inner peace, love for each other, and faith in ourselves, and also to be welcoming to whomever we meet and to be kind to all living creatures. As, um, as most of you probably all may remember or recall, I have a deep interest. I'm a, a student and a fan of um, Emerson, a pivotal name in the Unitarian history, as you know, and Clay's dog and my child share, <laughs> he put them together, Ralph Waldo Emerson's name. Uh, I often look for ideas and thoughts from him. And he wrote a lot of poems, some of which are quite average or below average, um, but some of them are really great. And they, they uh, speak to quite timeless issues and in interesting, interesting ways. And I'm going to read, uh, do a reading from a poem he wrote called Uriel, which was the name, is the name of an angel. Um, I'll chat more about angels when I get to the musings. And uh, we can pick up on some of the interesting ideas that this poem raises. It fell in the ancient periods which the brooding soul surveys, or over the wild time coined itself into calendar months and days. This was the lapse of Uriel, which in paradise befell. Once among the Pleiades walking, said overheard the young gods talking, and the treason too long pent to his ears was evident. The young deities discussed laws of form and metre just, orb quintessence and sunbeams, what subsith and what seems, one with low tones that decide and doubt and reverend use defied, with a look that sold the sphere and stirred the devils everywhere, gave his sentiment divine. Against the being of a line, line in nature is not found, unit and universe are round. In vain produced all rays return, Evil will bless and ice will burn. As Uriel spoke with piercing eye, a shudder ran around the sky. The stern old war gods shook their heads. The seraphs frowned from myrtle beds. Seemed to the holy festival, the rash word boded ill to all. The balance beam of fate was bent. The bounds of good and ill were rent. Strong Hades could not keep his own, but all slipped to confusion. 
a sad self-knowledge withering fell on the beauty of Uriel. In heaven, once eminent, this God withdrew that hour into his cloud, whether doomed to long gyration in the sea of generation, or by knowledge growing too bright to hit the nerve of feebler sight. Straight away, a forgetting wind stole over the celestial kind, and their lips the secret kept, if in ashes the fire seed slept. But now and then, truth speaking things shamed the angel's veiling wings, and shrilling from the solar course, or from fruit of chemic force, procession of a soul in matter, or the speeding change of water, or out of the good of evil born, came Uriel's voice of cherub scorn. And a blush tinged the upper sky, and the gods shook, they knew not why. You know, reading that poem in one, one fell swoop the first time, it's, it's hard to, to, to kind of grasp perhaps what, what Emerson is saying, but essentially Uriel is this angel in amongst this collection of other angels, and they're all debating the world, the universe, the laws, and how things come together. And they've all agreed that it's made of lines and angles, and it's all structured that way. And he deigned to speak out and suggest that actually you can't find lines in the universe. Everything is circular and round and um, that's how it's made up. And for his uh, arrogance to speak out and have an opposing view and try to speak a truth that he's aware of, he is shunned, shot down and pushed back uh, into what they call, what he called his, um, his cloud and to be gyrating in seas for generations, essentially outcast as an angel in that, in that poem. Um, and it refers at the very end, it talks about every now and then truth speaking things shame the angels failing wings when they're aware of what his warnings or his ideas were, they may be true or they are true and they realize it. They don't invite him back, they don't bring him back, but there's a, tin, a tinge of, uh, a blush tinged the upper sky indicating the realization that they haven't acknowledged uh, a, perhaps a different truth and they maintain their ways. So angels to me are fascinating. Uh, they come in so many different forms, but I think most people interpret them as mainly having a role as a messenger or as a guardian. Uh, I, I, it's amazing there's all sorts of hierarchies of um, cherubs, seraphims, archangels, and the most famous angels may be perhaps Gabriel, who come comes to um, inform the father and the mother or the parents of John the Baptist that they're going to have a child. Uh, Gabriel also visits Mary to tell her that she's going to um, bring Jesus into the world. Uh, Gabriel or Jibriel comes to Muhammad to reveal the Quran and also to take him on his night journey, uh, his mirage, which takes him from Mecca to 
um, Jerusalem up to heaven and, and back again in a, in a night. So there's all these fascinating ways uh, angels can can appear and and um, show up in the world. To me, I think you have angels all around you, people that bring messages to you, people you don't know, people that are trying to tell you something, people that are telling you something. Um, I think it's a very fascinating idea when you think very conceptually about what, what an angel is. Emerson himself, when he thinks about Uriel, he's really, as I understood it, he's really mirroring his own um, experiences in life where he's engaging with the issue that uh, the plight of speaking truth to unwelcome or dismissive or ears that are too smart to hear, such as what Lin Yu Tang was referring to, uh, it's really a reflection of a series of events that he had in his life, right, when he left the Unitarian uh, Church in Boston because he couldn't um, breach certain ideas that they wouldn't accept. Uh, when he gave an address at the Harvard, Harvard Divinity School, which challenged orthodox thinking and he was basically expelled from that school and not invited back for many, many decades. Um, and so Uriel's role is in this poem, a messenger of uncomfortable and unwelcome truth, regardless of the consequences, having the courage to speak up an alternative view. It doesn't necessarily mean that view is right. It's just having the space to welcome in a different view. And the ability to have discussions about different views, I think is really, really important. And I think that in New Zealand at the moment, uh, I've noticed over the last couple of years that the ability to have a conversation with people who have a very different view, the space to do that is closing in on itself. And my anxiety for the coming months is that that space will close even faster given the things that we have to achieve together as a country. Uriel, the angel itself, himself is really interesting. He is referred to as the angel of light and fire in some contexts, light and fire, the fire and the light of truth, how I referred and spoke when, we when, when I lit the candle today and what it stands for in the Unitarian tradition, light as a metaphor for truth, to shine the light, to pass the sunlight test, to indicate something stands up to scrutiny, truth and integrity when someone might not be telling you exactly how things are. Uh, and Milton in Paradise Lost also referred to uh, Uriel and described him as the sharpest sighted spirit of all heaven, swooping in, riding on a sunbeam. Super cool idea, riding in on a sunbeam. Sounds cooler than uh, snowboarding or surfing. It would seem that, you know, these, these ideas are really important to Emerson. Uh, and in this poem, Uriel is kind of put in his place as like a junior angel saying, you need to sit down because you're not as important as the rest of us and your voices and your thoughts are uh, not welcome here. Emerson interestingly held the view that he ranked ministers low in his, in his esteem and artists high and also we heard, you know, the new tag talk about the perceptive value of an artist and how they see the world. Um, and the idea of staying true to your artistic integrity and your ability to speak. And I think that's what lots of artists do in the world. They try to represent an idea 
and uh, represent a philosophy or a counterpoint to society. I think the things that I'm weighing up at the moment are that at the beginning, maybe a year and a half ago, when COVID first arrived in New Zealand, there were a lot of voices that uh, appeared on the scene from different quarters that suggested we should be doing things differently or we should be challenging the way the approach was being taken. Uh, maybe a sense of urgency around certain things, uh, maybe a sense of um, capacity building in certain areas, whether they are ICU departments or hospitals, or uh, we heard from business leaders having multiple ways of building up technologies to enable us to test faster, learn how to manage the disease better. Uh, we heard from a year ago, Maori health leaders saying, empower us, help us deploy, help us vaccinate our own people, partner with us. When we started listening, when we started seeing people around the world get vaccinated earlier in the year, we heard lots of voices in New Zealand say, let's start now, why wait? We heard other voices say, well, let's, let's take our place in the queue because there are other countries that might need vaccines more. A couple months ago, we still lived in a country that wasn't even on a race to vaccine. And a couple of weeks ago, we've turned into a country that now will turn those who are not as fast or haven't been as fast or who are maybe not as sure into pariahs or outcasts if they deign to hold back the country through this next phase. I've been witness and personally, my family's been witness to really difficult conversations with people trying to come to grips with what's happening and being judged very quickly. And I have you know, very clear views, but I think it doesn't um, help when you're being forced into a corner to go from one side to the other. And that's what worries me in the coming weeks. Um, it also doesn't help when there's a whole demographic in New Zealand, uh, the Maori and Pacific community, who have been let down in this journey, who will maybe ultimately be blamed for holding back the country because they are the lowest vaccinated and they are falling behind, despite many people having said for a very long time they needed different approaches to help themselves be able to help themselves. So the challenges we have ahead of us, I think are interesting on many fronts. What worries me most is that we are gonna be unable to have conversations where people have different views and the expression of how you not convince, I guess, but unite a community, uh, unite New Zealand around um, people being pushed into uh, corners or being accused of perhaps not doing the right thing. Uriel, as an expression, um, he was never afraid to throw bolts into the mix in that poem, throw bolts of lightning into a uh, conversation that was unwelcoming to them. But in choosing to shine lights on issues and having the courage to do so for fear of being, uh, being pushed out or being um, outcast, 
requires a sense of bravery, but it also requires a sense of compassion and empathy in the listeners and the citizens that are participating in that conversation. For me, I think the, um, the place that we're at right now is of both of hope and fear and those voices who are challenging us and that we inherently uh, feel a sense of disgust if they are doing something that opposes what we believe in, still have a role because they help the dialogue, they should help the dialogue understand that there is still quite a distance to go. Without those voices of opposition, will be misled into believing that we are all there when we aren't. The sad thing for me in the last year is there were lots of really amazing voices of opposition or critique or constructive thought who were not listened to that could have helped certain scenarios be achieved that would have averted the situation that we may be in coming in the next few months. So my call for this community and this uh, discussion post our group is how to avoid in the coming two to three months, a similar outcasting of different views as we navigate this chapter to both get us across the line but avert total polarization and total division within parts of communities. A 90% vaccination rate is still 10% of a country that may not believe in a philosophy that maybe many of us on this call believes in. Even if we had 5% of people who feel like they have been forced into a corner and refuse to come out of it. Can you imagine the consequence of having hundreds of thousands of New Zealanders feel like they can't go to work, they can't be a teacher, they can't get a haircut? We all want those things for all of us. But there are hundreds of thousands of New Zealanders around the country at the moment that feel like the rest of the country is ganging up on them. And as maybe in a lot of senses, that's true. The real question is how do we all get through it together without a generational scar? And particularly with a community that for no real fault of their own, and at this point it looks like it would be the Maori community, is way, way behind. And in a month or six weeks from now, the whole country could be blaming that community at the higher level for holding us back because of this new strategy of no, nobody left behind. I share these thoughts and musings because they are what currently weigh on me quite heavily. They're quite local. Maya, my wife went for a walk. You know, we live in Tuturangi. Spoke to a lovely neighbor who is a Steiner school teacher and he's, not, he, he's going to quit his job his livelihood, he's going to quit. 
I mean, these are principles people have had for 30, 40 years and they're willing to fight for them in such a way. And a lot of us take for granted, I think, it's obvious what you should do. But it's obvious to that person what he should do. I have a last reading which continues down this path. It's from, I don't know really know much about many Roman emperors, but it's definitely my favorite Roman emperor, Marcus Aurelius. Um, he says, all of us are working together for the same end. Some of us knowingly and purposefully others unconsciously. As Heraclitus, I think, has remarked that even in their sleep, men are at work and contributing their share to the cosmic process. To one man falls this share of the task, to another that task. Indeed, no small part is performed by that very malcontent who does all he can to hinder and undo the course of events. The universe has a need even of such as he. It remains for you then to consider with whom you will range yourself. For in any case, he who directs all things will find some good use to make of you and give you your place among his, helpmates, his, his helpmates and fellow laborers. I was looking at my flame, wondering where I get a little thing to close it, but I guess I could just blow it. Old school technology. We extinguish this flame. Is that? You've got one too. <laughs> we extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community or the fire of commitment. These we carry in our hearts until we are together again. Well, a lot of smoke over here. <laughs> okay. As we go forward into this frightening, exhilarating, confusing, miraculous world, may we offer our comfort to the afflicted, our love to those who are lonely, our empathy to those conflicted, our hands to those who need them, and our wish for all, even those we don't agree with, to be safe. The conversation starter I thought uh, for today, probably unsurprisingly, when division confronts us and we are ready to quickly judge or react, how can each of us serve to unite rather than divide in our conversations, in our deeds, in our acts, and in our thoughts.